This is Cruise Radio. If this whole thing we're going through right now has taught us anything, it is to always have travel insurance. Get a quote today at tripinsurance.com. Broadcasting from the tripinsurance.com studios in Jacksonville, Florida. This is Cruise Radio. Hey, how's it going? My name is Doug Parker. Thanks for checking out this episode of Cruise Radio, a review of Royal Caribbean's Mariner of the Seas this week. Kat sailed back in February. She did a back-to-back cruise on the ship, so we're going to hear all about it. And Sherry Laskin from CruiseMaven.com is on deck with Cruise News. And don't forget about Cruise Radio News, daily quick hits of the news, seven days a week right now. You can find it where you consume your favorite podcast. It runs just opposite of here by searching Cruise Radio News. All right. Hi, Sherry. Hi, Doug. So Australia has extended their cruise ship ban. They have. So Australia's border force extended its ban on cruise ship arrivals now through September 17th. The ban started on March 27th and was originally supposed to end on June 17th. The impacted ports include Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane, Cairns, Port Adelaide, Darwin, Fremantle, and Hobart. Any ship with more than 100 passengers that has visited a foreign port is not allowed to operate in Australia or in its territorial waters. The original ban that was implemented in March came as a result of Princess Cruises' Ruby Princess after it disembarked COVID-infected passengers into the city. Following that event, there's now a criminal investigation to see if Princess Cruises' withheld safety guidelines when informing Australian authorities prior to docking. Also under scrutiny is whether or not Ruby Princess could have violated Australia's biosecurity laws. So Carnival, Celebrity Hound America, Princess and Royal Caribbean all offer either year-round or seasonal cruises from Australia. Please tell me that's the only negative story this week. Uh, you know, they sort of waffle back okay. and forth. We'll take that. We'll take waffling. Uh, Royal okay. Caribbean is backtracking on the whole no buffet stance. Yeah, so this is one of the, you know, a little more hopeful signs. So just last week, Royal Caribbean stated that when the cruise line begins sailing again, traditional buffets would be gone. So no one really knew what that meant. So this week, the cruise line tried to clarify their statement by saying that their Windjammer Cafe, which is their buffet, it will still be there, but initially uh, cruisers might find servers behind the plexiglass instead of having everyone grabbing the same self-serve utensils. And actually, luxury cruise lines have been doing this for quite a while. So it's logical that, you know, this could even become an, an industry norm, even just temporarily. When I sailed Seabourn in Alaska, I didn't even think about that. The buffets were set up like that. They actually served you. You couldn't get your own food. And it was nothing like no outbreaks on the ship, even like norovirus. It was just the way they did it. Yeah, that's how it's been. And, um, you know, that, like I said, that could become the norm, even if it's only temporary. But yeah, it's not impossible. You just... You know, the line might move a little bit slower, but, you know, it's it's a nice feature, actually. Yeah, I'm down with that. So Royal Caribbean had their quarterly earnings call last Thursday. What did we take away from that? Yeah, well, um, it was during the cruise line's first quarter earnings call that Royal Caribbean International discussed several of these key points. The topics range from the idea that cruises from international ports might return sooner than those out of North American ports due to the fact that other countries could see recovery sooner 
than in the U.S. And the return to service will likely be done in phases and in accordance with Royal Caribbean still in the works, but they call this their return to healthy service plan. Um, though the company reported a loss of $310 million for the first quarter of this year after their furloughs and firings and other cost reductions, they've reduced their operating costs down from $400 million per month to somewhere in the range of $250 to $275 million per month. An interesting little factoid that came out is 45% of canceled bookings requested a refund rather than take a future cruise credit. And it turned out that members of Royal Caribbean's Crown and Anchor Loyalty Program were the most likely to book using their future cruise credits. And they also tended to reserve higher category staterooms. Uh, also revealed during the call was that on the newer ships, and this is something I didn't know, they only need about a 30% load factor to almost break even on profitability. But keep in mind, this does not include interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. But it does help to explain how ships could, in theory, operate with fewer passengers and not take a huge loss in revenue. Operating on a 30% margin shows you how much money they do make when business is very well. Yeah. So, you know, 30% load factor, that would be pretty amazing. That'd be like having to ship to yourself. Yeah, for sure. Uh, we're starting to get more information on where cruise ships could sail from first, and it's not the United States. Cruise ships could begin sailing as soon as June or July, as you mentioned, but not from the United States. Those who may want to cruise first might have to head to Europe or Asia, with both Asia and Europe seeming to be ahead of the United States in terms of recoveries from COVID-19. Cruise line executives seem to think it's highly likely that the Asian or European markets might return to cruising earlier. And if you check Royal Caribbean's website, they have a three-night cruise from Hong Kong to Shanghai that departs on July 12th. Norwegian Cruise Line shows cruises slated to leave in August from Rome, Barcelona, and Athens. And then up in Scandinavia, Norway's Hertegruten has a scheduled return to service date on June 16th. The line's first cruise is scheduled to sail from Bergen to Kirkenes with policies in place to adhere to government guidance. And the ship um, that's going to be doing this is the MS Finmarken, and it will not sail at full capacity, as you could guess. And they will expect passengers to adhere to you know, the strict health guidelines that have been employed in Norway and to also physically distance themselves from other passengers. Some of the unsold staterooms could be used to isolate ill passengers. And that's one way to do it. And we'll probably see that on more ships, too, designating certain staterooms as isolation rooms, just in case. And if I could add, I, I've seen two Hertegruten ships, and for me, they were the cleanest ships that I've ever seen. So mm -hmm. I can understand almost why they are planning a June 16th return to service. It's good these cruise lines are going back before us, though, because they'll be able to test these protocols and standards and see how everything is lining up. Yeah, but you have to remember different countries have different, not expectations, have, di the, you know, the people react differently. Yeah, so, sure. But I mean, like in general, like, you know, if, Ro if Royal Caribbean is rolling out some 
app-based interface that may help Asia get going, they could see, hey, it might work in the U.S. Absolutely. So, that, that's one, one way to look at it for sure. We didn't mention this earlier, but Bahamas Paradise Cruise Line said that they are scheduled to return to service on, was it July 25th? Yep. And they will be two-night cruises. Okay. Gotcha. Out of Palm Beach. So, yeah, that's a good way to test it also is just mm-hmm. offer shorter cruises. That's just my opinion. But um, And it's only going to Freeport, so... It's not like it's, you know, crossing the ocean or something very distant. In our last talking point, more delays for Virgin Voyages. Yeah, this is this is becoming repetitious already. So the launch of Virgin Voyages has been pushed back till October 16th of this year. And Virgin's Richard Branson's birthday bash cruise has been postponed now until July 14th. And Scarlet Lady, their first ship, was supposed to take her maiden voyage on April 1, and then it was changed to August 7th. And again, like I just mentioned, it's October 16th. Um, Virgin Voyages sent a letter to travel partners this week and stated that they've been working hard to, to find a way to sail by August, but they just couldn't make it possible. So again, it's now mid-August They've also issued um, their refund policy if you were on that little short window of cancellations. Um, If it was your first cancellation, Virgin will auto-credit double the amount paid to date towards their voyage fare. And if they book their next sailing before June 30th, they will also get $500 to spend on board. Or, of course, you can request a cash refund. And those who've already received... The, f- the full 200% future voyage credit, Virgin says, they will get to keep it. Of course, you can always get a cash refund. Remember that. Listener question, email yours to Doug at cruiseradio.net. Jessica asks, our cruise to Alaska was canceled for July, so we're looking again for next July. The prices are currently 20% higher for next year. Should we book now and monitor the prices or wait until the boats are actually sailing again? Yeah, well, Jessica, I have two answers for you, and that's yes. And no. So basically, if you book now, and as you said, the rates are 20% higher next year than they were for this year, you or your travel agent can always monitor the rates before final payment. And if it drops or if there are perks added that offset the price, that increase, then you should be able to change for the new price or grab that new promotion. But again, like I always say, it's important to read the fine print before you make your deposit. Sometimes, you know, once you make your deposit, you're not entitled to any future perks because they know people cancel and then rebook or request these price changes. So make sure that the cruise line will honor either a lower new rate or a new promotional offer if what you paid should drop before final payment. And that's also the cutoff date you have to remember. And from, you know, from right now, you have at least nine months, depending on the cruise line, before your final payment would be due. And also, if you book now and the cruise line has to cancel again next year, I hope not, but you might be eligible for some kind of a rebooking bonus in the form of an onboard credit or a discount, as we just discussed. But on the other hand, if you wait, you could miss out on you know getting that particular stateroom location that you want. So if you know if you're going to Alaska and you want you know port or starboard and you want midship or you want you know. If you, if you wait, you could lose out on getting your preferred stateroom. And if it gets really busy up here next year, the rates could be even more inflated. So if you don't need your deposit money right now, 
And if it was me, I'd pay the deposit and watch to see what happens next spring. But please mark your calendar so you don't forget to monitor for price changes. And I would say check once a week or every other week from now until when you have to make your final payment or the day before your final payment. Yeah, I was reading an article. 1.2 million people will not be going to catch a can alone this year. And that would have pumped in 190 million in the local economy. So they're, they're taking a beating this year. Yeah, all the ports from Ketchikan to mm-hmm. Juneau, Sitka, up to Skagway even, because, you know, that Carnival owns the railroad there now, and that's canceled. So, uh, and going up to, you know, to Denali and Fairbanks, all the hotels that are owned by cruise lines are closed. So, yeah, it's going to be a rough year, but, you know, they, they rebound. So we'll do great next year. Loving your optimism. Sherry Laskin from CruiseMaven.com. Thank you. Thanks, Doug. If you have an Amazon Alexa-enabled device, ask her to enable the Cruise Radio News Skill so you can get daily updates anytime. Straight from Cruise Radio. A big question we get at Cruise Radio is, how do I know if I need trip insurance? Simple answer. If you're getting on a plane, taking a road trip, or getting on a cruise ship, you need to have travel insurance. Hey, it's Doug Parker for my friends at TripInsurance.com. Not not only does TripInsurance.com protect your vacation investment, but it also gives you peace of mind in case anything were to go wrong on your trip. How do they do it? They offer three different types of trip insurance policies. Good, better, and best. One policy for every vacation budget. But it doesn't just stop there. They're up to 40% lower when you shop around on other comparison sites. Plus, TripInsurance.com offers 24-hour customer support before, during, and after your trip, online claims assistance, and travel alerts to let you know what's going on at your destination. But find out for yourself. Check out TripInsurance.com. Check out our blog, the video page, and interact at cruiseradio.net. Earlier this year, Kat did a back-to-back cruise on Royal Caribbean's Mariner of the Seas. It was a three-night and a four-night, and she joins us on the line. Welcome to the show. Hello. How are you doing? Good. I'm excited to hear all about this. Not only Mariner of the Seas, but you did a back-to-back, which is something I never have done. So uh, I hope to do it someday. So we'll take a step back. Give me some pre-cruise thoughts. What made you want to take this back-to-back on Mariner? Usually every year, I have a group cruise over Super Bowl. And usually it's like a three or four day. We were on Brilliance of the Seas last year for a four day that went to Cosmo, Mexico. And so... This year we looked at Mariner because I had been on Mariner. I love the ship. It's nice and big, has a beautiful Royal Promenade. So, you know, it's definitely the ship I wanted to have my group cruise on, but I was like, three days, not long enough. It's just not. So we wanted to do something different. So we made it a back to back. So yeah, I was really exciting. Now you're here in Jacksonville, like I am, you make your way down to Port Canaveral. Did you just like drive down day of? I did drive down the day of, there's a lot of members. There was 60 plush ish members in our group on the three day. A good majority of them came the night before because they're from out of town. They don't live in Florida. Uh, My husband actually works the um, overnight shift. So he ended up having to work the night before. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) it's about an hour and 45 minute drive from where I live to Port Canaveral. So not too bad. Okay. And you make your way to embark Mariner of the Seas. How was the embarkation process? It was really great. So for the three-day, we were staying in a junior suite. So usually when you stay in a suite, they have priority embarkation. 
And we're also um, emerald in the Crown and Anchor Society. So I had that going on as well. So basically, I walked into the terminal and walked directly onto the ship. And that was probably, I would say, maybe about 1045. Okay. And so that was 1045. How about from curb to ship? What, what would you say? Literally like five minutes, 10 minutes at the most, because wow. there wasn't really a lot of traffic getting in there. And because I was staying in a suite, I got to go in a special line. Mm-hmm. So I didn't have to wait with the crowd. <laughs> so getting through the metal detector and all of that fun stuff was not too bad. You are fancy. So you make your way on board <laughs> Mariner of the Seas. What were your first impressions? I had been on Mariner actually back in September for a friend's wedding. I absolutely love that ship. It's so exciting. The deck that they let you on, I think it's deck four and you have to go to deck five to go to the Royal Promenade. And so we made our way to Playmakers, which is the newly amped sports bar after Mariner went through her refurb. Okay, so you stayed in it's a... It's absolutely amazing. Yeah, I've seen a lot of pictures, and I really want to spend some time in there. Now, you made your way to your stateroom. You had a junior suite, as you mentioned. So what were your impressions? And give us the details. Okay, so my junior suite was actually one of the brand new junior suites that was added when Mariner went through her uh, refurbishment. It's at the very front of the ship. It's on deck 11. It's right outside the um, adult solarium. And I love the space. They had, unlike other junior suites, they had extra shelving in the walk-in closet. And the balcony seemed bigger. So, you know, it was it was really awesome. Now, the ship was updated like two years ago or so. Did it have like the USB and any updates in the stateroom? So I didn't really notice any USB ports. Was a, I was actually surprised about that. I did not see any of those. It still had the same plugs. Interesting. But overall, like, did you feel like you got a great value for the junior suite? Or did you think, you know what, I think that I probably overpaid? No, I actually really think I got a good value because I always watch the prices. And, you know, it was a group cruise. So we had actually group space pricing, which always helps a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, I was actually one of the hosts of the group. So that helped out, you know, as well. I think a junior suite's actually not bad if you kind of watch the sales. Because when you, you can book a cruise and when a sale goes on, you can reprice your cruise and save money. Yeah. So I usually try to do that. Okay. Let's talk about dining on board Mariner of the Season. We'll start at the main dining room. So what time dining did you have and how was your experience? So for the three-day, we just did the main dining room. I know a majority of our group did do specialty dining, but for the three-day, I just wanted to do the main dining room. And we had the late dinner, which kind of worked out because, you know, I got to relax a little bit and didn't have to rush to dinner at 5 o'clock. And I like to see the sunset. So when you have a later dinner, that kind of allows you to be able to kind of see the sunset on the ocean. And I always enjoy that. Now, as far as like the quality of the food and the service, was it spot on? It was very good. It was very good. I wasn't as pleased as I normally am with the first night meal. Usually I get the slow roasted prime rib and it was okay. It was, it was just okay this time. I don't, you know, I don't know why it wasn't as spectacular as it has been in the past. And we'll go ahead and cover the second leg of your dining here. How many nights of your four night did you eat in the main dining room? So I ate 
three out of the four nights we did a zoomy for mm-hmm. one night as a special thing with the people that did the back to back. And I absolutely love, love, love the hibachi Azumi experience. Was that a restaurant you pre-purchased or did you just pay when you got on board? So you you can always wheel and deal with the dining room staff. I actually got 20% off for my whole group. There was a group of nine of us mm-hmm. and they gave us 20% off. So I think it was like $45 per person. And it wasn't, you know, I think it was a good value for what we got because they give you a lot of food and it's really good. How was the Windjammer Marketplace, the buffet on Royal Caribbean? It was really, really good. Um, They always have a good variety of different foods for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I didn't really do any dinners, but I did breakfast and lunch in the Windjammer. And I always like having a good variety of different choices and different styles of food. Any other food venues you'd like to talk about, like pizza or the Promenade um, Cafe so or yeah, anything? The pizza, I did do the pizza a couple times for lunch and just for snacks on the Royal Promenade. It was okay. It wasn't spectacular, but it's good for just like a little snack. And then the food and playmakers, I know I personally didn't have any, but I know I sampled some of my friends. The wings are absolutely awesome. Now, for the sake of the interview, we're going to just say seven nights here. How was the entertainment on this seven-night sailing? I didn't really partake in a lot of entertainment, but it was good. I was kind of disappointed because we had a sea day on, you know, for our sea day. I didn't feel like there was enough activities to keep us busy. I was hoping for more, like, trivia or stuff during the day. So I was a little disappointed with that. Well, let me ask you this. How was the cruise director? Because I know Royal Caribbean has like two kinds of cruise directors. They have the one, well, not just Royal Caribbean, every cruise line, really. The one that is really out there in the crowd. And there's the ones who are just seen for the Welcome Aboard show and heard on the microphone. How was your cruise director on this sailing? So his name was Ricky and he was absolutely awesome. He made our cruise so much fun. He was out there with the crowd always seen. I saw him around the ship. I actually got a picture with him on our Coco K day on the three day that we weren't able to go to, (laughs) but bad weather. Um, but no, he was, he's a very out there, very energetic. He totally made the cruise so much more fun. Awesome. Now, as far as like the music around the ship, how was that? It was really great. So they had a pub singer. He had a guitar in the pub. He was really, really great. They had a jazz band on the Royal Promenade was really awesome. They always have like the 70s party. They have an 80s party. I'm a huge fan of the 80s. So and of also of the 70s. So I, you know, I love those two um, music opportunities. Very cool. How was the ship on sea days as far as crowds and congestion? Obviously, on a sea day, it's going to be a little bit more crowded. But actually, I didn't really notice it being a huge problem. I still was able to get into the hot tub. No problem. I think everybody just does their own thing. So Mm -hmm. it was not a problem for me as far as the crowding. I didn't go to the main pool because there was a lot of people there. But I went to the adult solarium pool. Mm-hmm. So is the adult solarium, is that like 18 or 21 and up only? I think it's 16 and up. Okay. 
during Mariner's last dry dock, did it get the amplification with the bounce pad and everything? It did. It, it got the sky pad. Mm-hmm. It got the escape room. It has laser tag. I know they do laser tag and Studio B. So there was definitely stuff added to it. The slides were added to it. There are slides on Mariner. I didn't do those, but I've heard they are really awesome. <laughs> Did you do any of like the laser tag or anything? I didn't really do that. I kind of, I'm more the chill cruiser. Yeah. Well, as far as the casino, when you were walking through it, what was the smoke situation like down there? So at times it was bad. Mm-hmm. I think there's like a smoking section and a non-smoking section, but I couldn't really tell the difference between the two. Yeah. I know we had a slot pull scheduled and we were in there briefly, I would say probably about 20 minutes. It wasn't too bad, but I'm still not a huge fan of smoke. So you say you had a slot pull. Walk me through that. Is that like everyone throws in a 20 and you just literally stand at one machine and keep feeding it 20 and that spinning? is correct. So okay. you, I had each cruiser mm-hmm. had $15 that they put in, which they got three spins. Okay. So it's like three $5 spins and whatever you, you know, sometimes you can win money and then other times, you know, you walk away with not as much money. Last year we came out $25 ahead on top of what we paid. This year we we lost $10 a piece. <laughs> you know, it's still fun. Yeah, of course. Is that something that the like the casino manager comes over and like sets the machine to a certain thing or or is it just like a regular machine and you just pick any old random one? So it's usually a self-run machine and we mm-hmm. usually try to pick a good machine that we think you know, we kind of look at the history. If we had a really large group, I think the manager would definitely get involved. Yeah. Um, but this year, we didn't have as large of a group for the slot pull. Let's talk about the ports of call on these back-to-back cruises. So you did Nassau and Perfect Day at Coco Key. Uh, you said you missed Coco Key on one cruise. Did the other cruise go to it? It did. It okay. did. So on the three-day, we had Nassau scheduled first. I actually stayed on the ship for the Nassau visit because I had been to Nassau so many times. I just really wanted to enjoy the ship and the avenues and just relax and, you know, just sunbathe and just have a relaxful day. And we were supposed to go to Coco Key on Sunday. The wind was really, really strong and the waves were crashing up against the shore and and we kind of had a feeling that, you know, the captain takes our safety into, you know, his decision making. And he was like, you know, he tried two attempts to dock. And after the second attempt, he's like, nope, sorry, can't do it. That's the worst because like I was on a sailing in December on a Norwegian cruise ship. And of course, they don't have a dock over there, which is right next door to um, Perfect Day at Coco Key. But at that time, there were two royal ships docked and having a good time, but the waves were too rough. So we had to just look at the island and sail away. It is the worst. So when you have to bypass, it's It's that dang Gulf stream that causes the waves and the winds out there. But anyway, but anyway, so you actually got to go to perfect day on the second cruise though, correct? I did. Talk to us about that. So we were able to dock. It was nice and sunny. It was actually perfect weather. And there was a prearranged with another family to share a cabana on Coco Key. 
And I never had the cabana experience um, just because I don't like having to pay the cost for the cabana, but sharing it with another family worked out really great. And the service was amazing. They bring you food and drinks whenever you want. You're able to relax. You have your own towels. You have your own space to put your things. You don't have to worry about trying to fight to get a lounger. You have your own space to just chill out. Okay, so you mentioned all you have to do is push a button. So, like, you could just push your button and say, hey, can you grab me some food? And they'd bring you some? Yep. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) And from anywhere on the island. Is there a tram system or a shuttle system on there? There is. There is a tram system. So there's actually two different kind of – there is a go-kart that will take you from the dock at the ship to the tram station, and then the tram can take you all around the island. Is the golf cart tram or the buggy, is that just for cabana guests? No, it's actually for everybody. You know, you can stand in line, you know, Mm because some people have physical challenges where they're not able to walk long distances or just, you know, they just don't want to walk long distances. So they can wait in the line for a go-kart and, you know, they're long go-karts that can hold a lot of people and, um, you know, kind of like a go-kart bus. They're run by electricity, by the sun. So they're not gas or anything like that. So it's environmentally friendly as well. Was this your first time at Perfect Day? It was not. It was probably my third visit. How did this visit compare to your past two visits? It was good. The only thing that was a downer for me is the water was too cold to get in. (laughs) I was able to actually go into the Oasis Lagoon and go up to the swim up bar, but I just felt that the water temperature was too cold. So I didn't even set foot in the water. All right. So you leave perfect day. You get back to Port Canaveral. Before we talk about disembarkation and end this thing, you did a back to back. So what is that process like when you're an in-transit passenger between two cruises? Basically, they have the back-to-back consecutive cruisers is what we we are called, consecutive cruisers. They have us meet on embarkation day in a certain location. For this cruise, it was the Star Lounge, and it was 9 o'clock. We met all the consecutive cruisers were supposed to meet at 9 o'clock, and they get all of our names, and they actually give us our CPAS cards for the next sailing. So we have to go through customs just like everyone else, but we walk off as a group. And usually it's a pretty quick turnaround process, but we actually ended up having to wait about an hour before we were able to get back on, which was fine. We just sat in the terminal and then we got back on as a group, but we were the first ones back on the ship before everybody else. So you had a junior suite on the first cruise. On the second cruise, what did you have? I had a balcony cabin. So, oh, so you had to step down a little bit. I did. It was rough. (laughs) Was that by design or was it just because it was a little cheaper for that sailing? It was a little cheaper. I didn't really, I looked at the prices of staying in a junior suite for the four day and I just really didn't want to pay. Right. It was a little bit more expensive. So I was like, okay, well, we're just going to, we'll just do a balcony for the four day. We're going to have to slum it in a balcony. No more junior suite. It was so hard. (laughs) So you end the cruise, you get back to Port Canaveral. How was disembarkation when it finally came time to leave Mariner? It was actually good. I, I'm a very organized cruiser. So the night before, you know, disembarkation day, I have all of my stuff packed. So it makes it easy. I put my bags out in the hallway. They took them away from ship to curb. It was a good, probably like 
15 minutes. It was a very quick process. What is the customs process like in Port Canaveral these days? So they have facial recognition. So basically you have your passport ready, but with the facial recognition, it makes it so much faster. Basically they do the facial recognition and then when it's green, you're good to go. They don't even look at your passport. Wow. Okay. Looking back on this back-to-back cruise, any first-time tips to offer? Basically, you just want to, you know, do your research, whether you want to stay in the same cabin or whether you want to change cabins because they will move your stuff for you and you are able to get right back into your room as soon as you get back on the ship. Normally, the rooms do not open until like 1 or 1.30. But as consecutive cruisers, we were able to get back in our cabins right away. We were able to open the doors and say, hey, I'm a back-to-back. I'm just going to my cabin. And they allowed us to get back in our cabins. Looking back, what was the biggest highlight of this cruise for you? I think just, you know, having the experience of a first-time back-to-back cruiser, I had many friends do it. And it was exciting for me knowing after the three day, I didn't have to go home. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I I you know, I get to sail a little bit longer. So that was really exciting for me. And I also hit a new crown and anchor level status after the three day. So with the crown and anchor level status, you get perks So I hit diamond on the four day and I was able to use those benefits. Wow. I cannot believe you hit diamond already. Yes. (laughs) That's so cool. Congratulations, by the way. Thank you so much. I talked to the loyalty ambassador Mm -hmm. on the three day and said, hey, you know, I'm going to be at 81 points after this cruise. Can I please, you know, use my diamond benefits on this next sailing? He's like, of course you can. We can manually enter it. I was able to go to the diamond lounge have my diamond drinks. It was fabulous. What are y'all doing up there in the diamond lounge? Just free booze and like snacks? Yeah. So like it's free booze from like 4.30 to 8. Nice. And you get three drinks loaded onto your CPAS card to have anywhere on the ship from those hours. And I do not drink a lot at all. (laughs) So that is all I need. And I actually preferred the version pina colada because that's been added to the menu. Okay. Very fun. Very good. Yes. All right. Well, in closing, what are your final thoughts of Mariner of the Seas? Mariner of the Seas is a wonderful, beautiful ship. It is a great size for those that don't want a huge ship and those that don't want a small ship. It's kind of in between the small and the large, and it's perfect. You can see the ocean, and it has a lot to offer for people of all ages. Very good. We've been talking with Kat about her back-to-back cruise, a three-night and a four-night aboard Royal Caribbean's Mariner of the Seas. Kat, thank you so much for dropping by. And don't be a stranger. Whenever you sail again, reach out and we'll do it all over again. I will definitely do because that will be my first time on that ship. So I'm sure I will have a whole bunch to talk about. Awesome. Looking forward to it. All right, Dougie. Let's see what we got here, buddy. Cruise Radio is produced weekly in Jacksonville, Florida. For partnership opportunities, email Doug at cruiseradio.net. Hear Cruise Radio on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, the Stitcher Radio Network, Google Play, or at cruiseradio.net. I'm your announcer.